I love that we come together or I feel like we're a, a full group together. We have a full sanctuary of people. I love when that big house out there is full of supplies. If you've been around here for a number of years, we used to have a big full mountain of food out there that used to be what we would gather here at this time. The holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas coming up next month, is a time that oftentimes we can feel pretty full. My sister, my beautiful, wonderful sister, is kind of infamous in my family for saying on the day before Thanksgiving that she was going to wear her fat pants tomorrow so she could get real full. It's a full season. I went home in the middle of the day today, and I spent about 45 minutes brining a couple of turkeys for tomorrow that I think we all plan to get pretty full on. It's a full season, a season of fullness. But I also just recognize that sometimes around Thanksgiving and around the holiday season is a time when we're supposed to feel full, and so it touches our emptiness. And so we become aware of sometimes how not full we are. Maybe it's something as simple as realizing that not everybody's going to get all filled up tomorrow, that there are plenty of people who'd love to have a big full table and a big warm place to be, and that's a part of our night tonight also. Maybe there's some emptiness in your life the holidays touches. It can be a kind of relationship emptiness. This is a time of year when a lot of us, a lot of us remember loved ones that we've lost. Maybe around this time of year, maybe a different time of year, but we feel that loss. There's a certain emptiness there. It could be a friendship sometimes this time of year that we remember someone that we used to be close with and kind of over the years we've lost touch and gone our separate ways. And that can be a grief. It can be an emptiness at this time of year when we're together with friends and family. Maybe it's a relationship that either used to be there in your life or was never there in your life and you wish that it were. And it's a kind of emptiness around this time of year when we feel like we're supposed to feel full and be thankful for so much. And yet there are things that we don't feel full of. And the other thing that's challenging about this season when we see so much fullness and want to feel fullness and yet we're aware of the emptiness that we feel is that this season more than others can be a time when we try to fill up our emptiness with things that only leave us more empty. And that can be different things for different people. We live in one of the great consumerist societies of all time, and some of the great fullness of shopping begins tomorrow in about 24 hours, doesn't it, I think? It used to be the Black Friday. I remember it, I remember it was crazy that some people got up Friday morning at like 7 in the morning and went shopping on Black Friday. Now that's for lazy people on Friday at 7. It moved up to midnight on Friday. That was crazy full. I know sometimes it moved like into the middle of the night. I saw, I'm pretty sure I saw that tomorrow Black Friday shopping starts at Walmart at 6 p.m. on Thursday. I plan not to be out of my turkey coma tomorrow at 6 p.m. But some of you are very industrious. You'll be shopping, I suppose. Sometimes we use a little retail therapy to fill up what feels empty in our lives. Maybe some of you or some of us will be tempted to make some less than ideal relationship choices to fill up, to mask what feels empty. Maybe it's something different for you, whatever it is that pulls your trigger. But we don't want the fullness that just leaves us more empty. We don't want to manufacture a fullness that has no ability to make us full. We want the fullness that really fills us up. We want the fullness that comes from God. And I want just very briefly tonight to share with you two stories, two quick stories from the life of Jesus where the Bible tells us that he brought fullness into somebody's life. In fact, where it says that Jesus filled up a whole bunch of lives at once. And I want to share those with you and connect them to how it is that we experience fullness on this night and in this season and in our lives. Both of them are kind of miraculous stories. The first one is a, is a fairly famous story from Jesus' life. It's a story that many people have come to call the feeding of the 5,000, though that's not really fair because there was a lot more than 5,000 people there. 
But I think a lot of us don't remember how that story started. Right at the start of this kind of famous story, Jesus just has gotten word of a death in his family of somebody close to him. It's the death of John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. And Jesus has gotten word that John the Baptist has met an untimely and a violent death. He was killed by King Herod Antipas. And Jesus hears this, and right at the start of the story, it says that Jesus goes off to a lonely place to pray. I don't know, but I would imagine that Jesus was himself feeling some emptiness in that moment. That somebody that he was close to, a a family member, and somebody who you even say was a partner in ministry for him in some ways, had recently died. And he was off to go pray. He was off to go connect with God and maybe search out his own emptiness a little bit, his grief over John's death. And he goes off to a lonely place to pray. But Jesus has become very popular at this time in his life, and crowds from all the nearby villages find out where he went. And they leave the nearby towns, and they go out into this lonely place, out into this wilderness place where Jesus has gone to pray. I think there's an emptiness in their life where you don't go by the thousands out of towns into wilderness where there's nothing out there for you except this guy. And you're hoping that Jesus will bring fullness into your life. The crowds go out, and the story says that Jesus had compassion on them when he saw them. That inspires me about Jesus, that in this time of pain and loneliness maybe and emptiness in his life, that he was able to turn to others who were in need and have compassion on them. And the story says that Jesus had compassion on them and he taught them about the ways of God and he healed the sick and he, brought, he welcomed the outcast into the community of God and he ministered to them. But as the day went on, Jesus' disciples were there with him also. I guess he had left them behind, but they must have come out with the crowds. Jesus' disciples say to Jesus, you've got to send them back into the towns. Like they're never going to leave you on their own. They're just going to stay here as long as you keep talking to them and healing the sick and ministering to them. But they're going to get hungry out here. It's getting late and we're out in the wilderness. You've got to send them back into the villages where they can buy some food. And Jesus turns it back on his disciples. I'm not going to do that, he said. Instead, you feed them. You give them something to eat. We find out later in the story there were 5,000 adult males. That's what they counted, the kind of census that they did. There were 5,000 adult men. That doesn't tell us how many women were there. It doesn't tell us how many children were there. 10,000 plus people, a huge crowd. Jesus tells his disciples, you feed them. And they look around, they see what they've got, and it says says they've got five loaves and two fish. Not a lot to go around to a crowd of 10,000 plus people. But Jesus says to give it to them. And they begin to distribute the five loaves and the two fish among thousands and thousands of people, and it keeps distributing. And everybody gets all that they want, and there's leftovers. In fact, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 19. And he, Jesus, directed the people to sit down on the grass, all 10,000 of them, to sit down on on the grass, taking the five loaves and then the two fish and looking up into heaven. He gave thanks, and then he broke the loaves, Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Then they all ate and were filled. They were filled. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 12 basketfuls of extra bread and fish when they started with five loaves and two fish. And then the other story, much like this one where Jesus creates a filling for people, happens shortly thereafter. It's kind of hard to tell in the story of Jesus' life if it's a few days later or a week later, something like that. He, he travels around, and then he's in a nearby area near the Sea of Galilee, kind of in the northern part of Israel, in the area that's called Galilee. And here Jesus performs another miraculous feeding. 
He's out there by the Sea of Galilee, away from all the villages that were nearby. And the people are coming to him again, and he's healing the sick. He's giving voice to those who can't speak. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And this time, his disciples have learned a little bit, but they haven't learned everything that Jesus wants them to know, because this time they've got some compassion on the people. They're the ones that, who are ready to feed the people. And Jesus says to them, says to his disciples, we've got to feed these people. They've been with me for three days. For three days they've been out there. And we've got to feed them. They're going to, they're going to fall over. But the disciples, they do, but they still say, what are we going to feed them with? We don't have anything out here in the wilderness to feed them with. Sometimes I'm comforted by the stories of Jesus' disciples that they don't learn everything right away the first time, just like I don't. They just saw this miraculous feeding and they go, what are we going to do with all these people? So they gather up what they've got. They've got seven loaves this time and a few small fish, a little bit more. And Jesus says to give it to the people. And they start to pass it out and everybody gets all that they need. And this time there's still leftovers. This time there's seven basketfuls left over. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 15, just the next chapter at the end of that story. It says, then Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish and when he had given thanks, stop me if this sounds familiar, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were filled. They were filled. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And that time it was 4,000 adult men and there were also lots of women and children who were there, maybe still pushing 10,000 people that were filled. Now, I just want to notice two things about both of those stories with you, very similar stories. The first one is a very simple thing. Jesus filled them up. But there's more to this story than meets the eye. He met their material needs. He met the needs of hungry people. He created food for them and made sure there was food to go around. And that's a top-level priority. You can't understand anything in the story if you don't understand that, that Jesus ministered to hurting hungry people and he met their needs right where they were. But there's more going on in the story than that. That bread and that fish is not just bread and fish. These stories, like so much else that Jesus did and said in his life, are signs of God's inbreaking kingdom, God's new world, God's new order for this world. A new world, a new humanity that starts in Jesus, who is a new human being, a new Adam, the start over for God's way of running this world. And it starts in Jesus. And what Jesus does and what Jesus says are signs and explanations of this new thing that God is doing. And here in these stories, there are some symbolic numbers that tip us off to what Jesus wants us to see here and what he wanted his first disciples to see and everybody else around. After that first group, they picked up 12 basketfuls of bread and fish that were left over. In the first century, there was probably not a single Jewish person in Israel who could hear the number 12 and not think of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's just what that number meant to them. It was the fullness of God's people. And here the kingdom of God is breaking in and gathering together again and filling up God's people that were once lost. But it's not just those 12 basketfuls. Just a little bit later, he brings the same disciples to another crowd and he feeds them. This time there's seven basketfuls left over. Seven's a number that can mean a whole lot of different things. But one thing the number seven means, especially when you set it alongside the 12 tribes of Israel, is the seven nations that, were, that competed with Israel for the land of Israel a thousand years before Jesus. And had become part of the oral tradition and the tales that they told in the Israelites of the first century, these seven other nations. But now Jesus comes not only to bring good news and the fullness of God's presence and, a, and the new way of God to the people of Israel, but he comes to bring it also to the whole world, to everybody. And this story of the feeding of the 4,000 is surrounded by instances of Jesus ministering and bringing the gospel to people that none of the Israelites wanted to talk to. 
people who were foreigners, immigrants, Gentiles, pagans, but the good news of God was for them also. Here's Jesus bringing the fullness of the presence of God and of God's good news and God's salvation to everybody. And it didn't matter whether they were men or women, they were all there together. It didn't matter how old you were, they were adults and children all there together. It didn't matter what ethnicity or color you were, they were all there together. And Jesus brought the fullness of God's kingdom and the fullness of God's salvation to them materially and spiritually. The kingdom of God was dawning among them. There's more going on in these stories than meets the eye. But the other thing that I want you to notice about these stories is the fullness of the relationships that are demonstrated, that are represented in these stories. Sometimes here at First Lutheran, we've talked about the life of a disciple of Jesus being kind of like a triangle of relationships, that it's a relationship upward. It's a, rela- it's a spiritual relationship with God in the upward direction. But it's not only a relationship with God, but being a disciple of Jesus means uh, having family relationships with other believers in an inward direction, up, in. But it's also a third kind of relationship. It's a relationship of compassion, a commitment to justice and solidarity with God's world for the sake of God's coming kingdom, with all those who have not heard and experienced the good news of God and Jesus Christ yet. It's a relationship with God and with other disciples of Jesus and with the world. And that's what's happening here in the story, right? Nothing good happens in the story. No food gets distributed. Nobody cares about anybody without the miraculous power of God and Jesus Christ. That's who takes five loaves and two fishes or seven loaves and a few fish and makes sure that it goes all around and there's leftovers. It's the spiritual miraculous power of God and Jesus Christ. But where does it happen? How does it become active? It becomes active in the community of Jesus' disciples. They come together. They work together. They, just, they, they share what they've got, and they work together to distribute food to everybody who's there. It's a relationship up with God. It's a relationship in with the people of Jesus, but it's also an act of meeting needs and exercising compassion for all those who are there for God's world, for tens of thousands of people who do not yet know from all over the world. It's up, and it's in, and it's out right here in these stories. Now let me just ask you, do you think tonight's a little bit like that? Isn't that a little bit like what we experience here tonight? Just a little taste maybe of how it was with Jesus and his disciples out in the wilderness in a lonely place or along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Maybe that's why this night feels so full. Because here we are together celebrating the good news of God, the goodness, the graciousness, and the generosity of God in our lives. And we can go on and on saying the things that we're thankful for, We're here to love God and experience the love of God. We're here to do it together. We're here to celebrate together, to pray together, to worship together. In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Gather around the Lord's table as one family, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, all lined up. And here we'll be reminded of another time in Jesus' life when he had some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and they passed it among themselves and shared it with with each other and eventually with the world. We're here to love and worship God. We're here together as a church family. Afterward, we're going to go out there. We're going to eat some pie. We're going to work together like families do. And we're going to do that because we also care about the world. Because there's a latter-day pile of loaves and fishes standing right out there in that framed-up wood house full of all kinds of supplies, some of which we're going to use here this next month in our Project Home partnership here. We'll be housing families that are in transition and homelessness here in this church building in partnership with other churches who are doing the same thing. Some of those supplies we'll use right here. Some of those we're going to share with our Operation Home Ministry partners, the Ramsey County Family Service Center, the Family Place, and maybe other Project Home churches. We want to meet the material needs of the world to whatever extent we're able. Maybe it's five loaves, two fish, and a roll of toilet paper. We're going to do what we can. 
We don't want to just do it materially. We absolutely have to do it materially. We also want to do it in the name of Jesus to meet the needs of the kingdom of God that are physical and spiritual altogether. I think maybe that's why this feels so full. And I want to invite you in this season where the fullness that we feel and the fullness that we're supposed to feel sometimes touches our own emptiness and sometimes makes us aware of the emptiness of the world that we're a part of. I want to invite you into this specific fullness. Not to hide from whatever emptiness you feel or see. Not to mask it. Not to numb it. Not to try to fill it up with things that will only leave you more empty. But I want to invite you into this specific fullness. The fullness of God in Jesus Christ. To turn your heart to God. Whom we know in Jesus. Who welcomes you. Whether you are, no matter what gender you are. No matter what age you are no matter what ethnicity or color you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, there's a welcome for you and a grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you into the fullness that comes nowhere else but in the presence of His Spirit and the knowledge of His grace and hope and His call for your life. And I want to invite you into the fullness of Christian community, into relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, even tonight and throughout the holiday season. Maybe tonight when we're out there and we're having pie and we're working together, maybe you'll be working together with somebody that you don't even know and you can reach across that gap and get to know somebody else. Keep your eyes open for somebody who maybe doesn't seem to know anybody else here tonight, maybe who's alone or needs some company. Let's turn toward one another in the fullness of the family of God tonight, throughout this season, and throughout our lives. And I invite you also into the fullness that comes from laying down our lives for others in the outward direction, to participate in the mission of God to love, reach, care for, and save his world. I want to invite you into the fullness of God as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who feel that emptiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this, for righteousness, for they will be filled. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, you're so full of goodness, grace, and mercy toward us. And God, I pray that you would draw us close to you close to one another, close in a participation in your mission to your world. God, I pray that you would work in us and among us. God, I pray your blessing on all the things that are gathered in our commons right now and all the generosity that you want to work among your people now in the coming month and on and on. But God, I pray that you would touch what's empty in us and in our world and that you would fill it up for us and in us and through us. We don't want to find a fullness anywhere else that just lets us down. We want to find it in you. And we know that it's there. And we love you. And we live and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.